book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter number one, Luke chapter number one, and as I uh, mentioned last Sunday, as I uh, introduced uh, this, this thought or this little series, if you will, there are four songs of praise uh, that are recorded in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. And then we looked at last Sunday morning, we looked at the at Zacharias's song of praise out of Luke chapter number one. And Sunday evening, we looked at Simeon's song of praise out of Luke chapter number two. And this morning, we're going to look at Mary's song of praise. And then tonight, we're going to look at the angel's song of praise. And I look forward to what God has for us this evening. But let's look at Luke chapter number one. And we're going to read verses 46 down through verse 56. Uh, Verses 46 through 56 of Luke chapter number 1. You follow along as I read this morning, beginning with verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hoped in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. We'll look at this passage of scripture this morning and uh, the message will be on Mary's song of praise. Father, we come to you once again asking for your blessing on the next few moments. And Father, may we be reminded from the scripture this morning of the purpose of praise, of the need of praise. And Father, as we reflect on Mary's song of praise, may we be reminded of the Savior we have. May we be reminded of the love of our God. And Father, I pray once again that if there's one unsaved this morning, may they get that settled. And Father, as those of us who have already placed our trust in what Christ did on Calvary, His finished work, Father, may we be reminded of who we have in Jesus. May we be quick uh, to tell this world about uh, our Savior. And Father, I pray that Uh, Your will be done. May the Spirit of God have His way this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Certainly at this time of year, as we uh, think of the real Christmas story, the birth of our Savior, we're reminded uh, how important it is for us to be reminded about Christ. Uh, Just as Easter comes once a year, we don't celebrate the resurrection of Christ one day a year. We don't celebrate the birth of our uh, Savior one time a year. I, I said that one time, and I was asked uh, by uh, one of the children, uh, well, does that mean we get presents every day of the year if we celebrate the birth of our uh, Savior? Uh, and uh, I didn't quite have the answer for that. But uh, uh, it's certainly we are focused on uh, the birth of our Savior. And uh, much attention comes to Luke chapter number 1 and Luke chapter number 2 as we're reminded of Emmanuel. We're reminded that God sent his son with a purpose. He sent his son to pay for our sin debt 
so that we might be redeemed, we might be saved. We're certainly thankful for that. But as we look at this Christmas story, we're reminded in Luke chapter number 1, in verses 26 through 38, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary after Gabriel had already gone uh, to uh, Zacharias to tell him that they would have a son. Gabriel now comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a child and this is the Christ child. This is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Gabriel begins to tell her that she is much favored of the Lord. And just as we did with some of these other characters, think with me just for a moment, the best you can, to put yourself in Mary's shoes. What it would be like for a, to get a visit from an angel, to get a visit from that messenger from God, to get that visit, and then as that would be shocking enough. But then as he begins to tell you that God has a specific purpose for you, you're going to bring a child into this world. And she responds, how is this even humanly possible? I, I know not a man. And she is told that she will be conceived by the Holy Ghost of God. Now imagine with me for a moment what must be going through her mind. The things as she begins to carry the weight of this visit and what it all means. Mary knew the prophecies. She knew what had been prophesied that the sign for the world is that there will be a child born of a virgin. That's how you know the Messiah has come. That's how you know Emmanuel, God is with us. As the weight of that begins to bear on her shoulders as she begins to contemplate all of these things. We then see in verses 39 through 45, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, there's a lot of reasons why she would go do that. One, their family. And she goes to visit her cousin. And you can imagine with me, there's not a lot of people Mary could tell about this news. You think of the day we live in and how exciting it is for new parents to uh, announce the arrival of their child and all the extremes that are gone through to announce the arrival and this and that. Mary could not do that. Mary went to her cousin and certainly she wanted to share with her cousin this news. But I believe there was another reason and certainly it played out this way. In that conversation with Gabriel, Gabriel told Mary that Yes, you're going to have a child. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecies. Your cousin Mary is with child. Now, certainly as your cousin Elizabeth is with child, and certainly as Mary is processing all of this, she goes to Elizabeth to find out if she's with child. And when Elizabeth confirms that she is also with child, this gave strength to the faith of Mary, because as we saw last week, Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth was, had never been able to have a child, and this was a miracle of God in itself. And so she goes to Mary. We find that Mary visits Elizabeth, rather, and that the fact that Elizabeth is with child is, gives confidence of the reality of what Gabriel's visit was all about. Upon all of this, we find in verse 46, Mary speaking about what had taken place. Mary giving praise to what she 
had been told what she was involved in. And we see the hand of God working up to this point. And then we find her response to the situation, her response to what God is doing. And we find her song of praise. And we'll look into her song this morning. And I believe there's some things that will be a help to us, an encouragement to us, a help to say things to remind us of how wonderful God's love is for us. Because we see, even in the hand of God, in the life of Mary, certainly we see the hand of God interceding in our eternal destination, interceding in our life, in those that would even come after us. Let's notice in her song of praise. Number one, I find praise for his love and his mercy. Praise for his love and mercy. Let's read again verse 46 down through verse 50. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That's a good start to her song of praise right there, isn't it? Our soul should magnify the Lord. Our spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Notice her praise for his love and his mercy. I want to point out his love in verse 48, which she says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Mary was a nobody. Mary was not somebody who was thought about. Mary was of low estate, not in the mind of God, but in the opinion of the world. Mary had no prestige. We all know the name Mary today because of the scripture. We all know the name of Mary today because we're on this side of the history of this great event. But in this day, nobody knew who Mary was. Nobody thought of Mary who, the home that Mary lived in, the family that she was from. It was not a prominent family. She was of low estate. Of his, she was a handmaid that was of low estate as far as the world is concerned. You say, Pastor, what is the significance of that? God chose somebody the world would not even think twice about to do that work of bringing his son into this world. There's an easy application you and I, as far as the world is concerned, we're nobodies. As far as eternity, we're nobody. As far as reality, we're nobody. But yet God would send his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay for your sin debt, pay for my sin debt. Friend, we're all of low estate. And maybe you came in here today and you're dejected because you're not in high in society. And we live in this world that if you don't have so many following on social media or, or you don't get this much applause, you're nobody, friend. In the mind of God, we are somebody. No matter what this world thinks of us, no matter how this world looks of us, look at us, it's an evidence of God's love that he would look and he would find somebody of low estate. We obviously see her speak of his mercy in verse 50. And his mercy on them that fear him from generation to generation. Those that would call on the Lord Jesus Christ would experience his mercy. The mercy of the fact that God would send his son to fulfill those prophecies. Friend, when we think of the birth of our Savior, we must think of the word mercy. We must think of 
not getting what we deserve and God's love for us. And friend, I would also say it would be good for us to join in the song of praise that Mary gives and we ought to have a song of praise on our lips of the love of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a picture of God's love. Oh, friend, we should be convicted as a child of God if we ever say, well, nobody, nobody loves me and I'm dejected by all men. We have a God who loves us. And Jesus is evident of that. And friend, we think of Christ, we must think of mercy. We must think of God's love and mercy for us. We find a praise for his love and mercy in verse 46 through 50. We continue in Mary's praise this morning. And the second thing that I'll bring out from her song of praise is, is this. There's praise for a change of status. There's praise for a change of status. Look with me in verse 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. I like all of this, but I, I really like this this morning. Notice what verse 52 says, the end of the verse. We'll look at that first. And exalted them of low degree. That When exalting them, is, he's actually, in the beginning of verse 52, he's putting down the mighty from their seats. See, the, the religious elite, they were the mighty. They were the gatekeepers, if you would, of who gets access to God and who doesn't. But God came to this earth and he put down the mighty from their seats and he exalted the person of low degree. And friend, aren't you thankful this morning that we, didn't, we don't have to go through a church to get to God? We don't have to go through a quote-unquote holy man to get to God? You don't have to stack your good works on this, this side of the scale to try and balance out because, friend, you would always come up short. God in his love and his mercy reached down to the vile, wicked, helpless, hopeless man and sent his son to save him and took religion and took it off his seat of pride and set it aside and reached down to the man in his lowest state and sent his son to save man. Boy, he takes a vile wretch and makes him a noble man. He takes a child of hell and makes him a child of heaven. He takes a nobody and makes him a somebody. Aren't you thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ? Hey, friend, you can, you can try and change your status by working your way up the ladder in this world. You can try and change your status by popularity and, and going through what this world says. But God, when he sent his son, he set down man off of his high seat and he reached down to man in its lowest state. And changed him. But I must also say in the midst of this praise, I must also give a warning. That if you're exalted in your own heart, the day will come when God will remove you from that seat of pride. Because no man cometh unto the Father except for Christ. Friend, I'm thankful this morning. And by the way, the longer that we're saved, the more we need to be reminded of what we really are without Christ. Boy, aren't you thankful this morning for what God's done in your life? Aren't you thankful for what He's done in your home? What He's done through His Son? Aren't you thankful for how He cleans you up and He sets you on the, on the right path and He can heal relationships and, 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 and he, he gives you a hope and direction in life? 
let's be reminded of what we really are without Christ. Without Christ, we're just that low, vile, helpless man. Boy, he exalted her from a low estate, exalts them of a low degree. And friend, we ought to be praising God for a change of status. And by the way, we need to be reminded of this. We didn't change it ourselves. Christ changed it. But let's be reminded, we belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not in a sense of pride, of self-worth or self-satisfaction, but God's people need to get their head up. Uh, who, who, who are we looking for? We're looking at, for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back today. I don't belong to this world. I, I'm not depending on this world. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ways well, of praise for a change of status. How can God take somebody that's so lowly like Mary and exalt her? It's a wonderful picture of the reason why Jesus was coming. And by the way, that's why religion hates Christ. No matter how they use his name, they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject him. Say, well, they, they all, this religion, they, talk about, they all talk about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of this Bible. They're not depending on Jesus as the only way of salvation. Because what it does, it takes man off of that elevated place and it exalts those who are just those common sinners, you know, like you and me. Praise for a change of, of status. Number three, we find praise for available salvation. Look at me at verse number 53, if you would. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Now, says so she's praising for available salvation. Aren't you thankful for salvation? You wouldn't be near as thankful for salvation if it wasn't available. The reason why you're thankful for it is because it's available. How many of you received it? That's why you're grateful for it. Because you've received it. It does nobody any good to be on their deathbed dying of something and have the solution in a lock cabinet that they can't get a hold of. There's no gratitude for that. Boy, gratitude, for, I'm thankful this morning that salvation is available. Notice this verse of Scripture. This is a great verse of Scripture. He hath filled the hungry with good things. Who are the hungry? They're the needy. How has he filled them? Because they needed help. If you come to Christ needy, he sends you away full. You remember when you got saved? You remember when the Spirit of God put you under conviction and you realized your lost condition, you realize how far away from God you were, you realize that you couldn't get back to God except for the Lord Jesus Christ, you realize you're without hope and you said, I need something to make a change. I need something in my life. And we find the Lord Jesus Christ and you never, nobody who ever comes to Christ and says, I need what you've done leaves empty. Friend, this morning, I, I, I'm thankful that I'm saved. And when I was a child, I uh, 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 called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. I had a great need, the need of salvation in my life, as you did at that point in your life. And he filled it. But the contrast to that is the rich he has sent away empty. It is not because he doesn't care about the rich. Who are the rich? The self-sufficient. They don't need, in their mind, Christ. They don't need His salvation. How many times in my lifetime, Sally, have I talked to people who were rich? They were self-sufficient. 
well, I'm living a good enough life. I don't need God. Well, friend, if you are full of yourself, how can He give you what you really need? If you are full of your own ways and your own ideas, you're self-sufficient, you're going to be sent away empty. But aren't you thankful we have a Savior that all you have to need is just the the reality that the, the need the, the need that we, we focus on is just the need that I can't help myself, I can't change myself, I can't save myself. And friend, we live, let's be reminded, we live in a needy world. What this world needs is not a political revolution, it needs a spiritual one. It needs the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs, it needs God's people to uh, point out that He is the one who can meet the needs. There's praise for available salvation. I remember very vividly is I would like for you in your own mind to think back to when you got saved. You remember the need of salvation? If you called on the Lord, you believe with your heart. He didn't turn you away. You came empty, but you left full. You came with nothing to offer, but you left with salvation by the Son of God. How many, and sadly, there have been times when I've stood behind the pulpit and I've preached and I've known there's been lost people in the service and you can feel the Spirit of God and the work of God and, and the rejection of Christ. Perhaps you've talked to someone who... Who, who gets to that point in their life where there's a need, but yet they try and fill it themselves. Well, you don't need my help, so you're turn away. There'll, no, there'll be nobody turn away who comes wanting the help of the Savior. But friend, you and I must not be self-sufficient. There's praise for available salvation. You know what, this, this gives me hope. We live in a world that is in great need. But there's hope because all man's got to do is go to get that need filled. You know, that's our responsibility is to find people who are without hope and say, you can be filled. All you have to do is go to Jesus and he'll fill that need and he'll take care of that void and he'll offer salvation. There's praise for available salvation. Then, fourthly, this morning... I want to notice, I want to point out praise for fulfilled promises. Look at verse 54 and verse 55. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, in verse number 55, she speaks of the fact there's a fulfillment of God's promises. And friend, I don't think we as God's people praise him enough. But we certainly don't praise him enough for his fulfilled promises. God keeps his word. If God says he's going to do something, it's done. He keeps his word. Mary gives testimony to that and to his seed forever. His word has been fulfilled and it will always be fulfilled. But I want you to notice Everything that we, we, we can see here, and she's talking about the fulfilled promises. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
Israel, if you think of the history of Israel through the Old Testament, boy, is, that is an up and down relationship, isn't it? I, I, I think, you know, and certainly sometimes we put ourselves in a situation and you're reading and you're thinking, oh God, have mercy on them. And then sometimes you're saying, oh God, why didn't you just kill them? But we're in that category too. But we, we look at that and we, we say, and sometimes you're like, hey, just, just, just follow him and trust him. Remember what he promised? But they lost sight of the promises. But yet at the same time, it was the promises that gave them hope. That phrase, he hath hope in his servant Israel. Aren't you thankful that God never forsook his people? That gives, that reminds me that he won't leave you and I. There were times when it didn't look good for Israel. Didn't look good for his people. He had hope in his servant Israel. Let me illustrate that. Brother Ryan, stand up here for me. He's the one that resembles an old man the most. <laughs> that word hoping is simply steadying like you're holding the arm or the elbow as you help somebody down the steps or you help somebody up the steps. I want you to picture with me God through the generations. When doubt would set in, here's God to steady. When hope would seem to be lost, here's God to steady. When the world is dark and silent. Here comes a voice from the wilderness reminding them of what God had said. When another dark time comes, here comes the prophet Isaiah pointing to, the, to Emmanuel who would come. Here's another voice of God. All the time he's steadying. He's holding on to them because he's going to keep his word. Mary is reflecting backwards and saying, all this time God has not forsaken us. All this time, when we couldn't hold ourselves up, there was God. And He was holding us throughout history saying, He's going to come. The fulfillment is going to come. Friend, how many times can we, also, can we also relate to this? And how many times when God should have just turned His back on us because of our wickedness and be, because of our hopelessness, and here is God through His Son steadying, saying, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to hold the truth that I've proclaimed will come to pass. Friend, man is not self-made. God has been holding us up the whole time. Man has not done anything for himself. God has been steadying us the whole time. And how do we even continue on? And what hope do we have in a world that we live in today where it seems like nothing but chaos and hopelessness ahead of us? Friend, this is why this preacher's not discouraged because through time, God himself has hoped his people. He has steadied them. He has held them for, this, for the point that Jesus is coming and Jesus is here and he is the hope of man. Friend, Jesus is everything that our hope should be in as he spake to our fathers. What is she saying? Let's, let's hear what Mary is saying. Mary is a credible witness. She had heard what the prophets had spoken of. She had heard of the promise that made to Abraham. She's obvious, obviously of the seed of David. God sent a messenger from heaven to Mary and said, 
this is what's going to take place. You think Mary doubted God's word? Mary went to Elizabeth and said, Elizabeth, you know how you kind of feel somebody out? They're going to think I'm crazy, but let me find out how crazy they are first. And as they begin to rejoice and as Mary is telling Elizabeth, the babe that Elizabeth was carrying leaped in her womb. As John, who would be the forerunner of Christ. Mary is declaring God keeps his promises. The people weren't hopeless then. But they were pretty close. If you study the history of God's people in in the Bible, there had been a very dark, dark period. How many times are we going to be reminded that the Messiah is going to come and another generation goes by? Then another generation, oh, hold out hope. Remember, he's going to come. Another hundred years goes by. Remember, hold out hope. He's going to come. And if people are not careful as a generation passes and that promise is unfulfilled, the faith begins to wane. And we begin to put our eyes on the circumstances around us. Mary testifies as he spake to our fathers. It is just as real what he spake to them as what I heard from that angel. And friend, forgive me this morning if you think I'm crazy. But as he speaks to us through his word, it is just as real as the angel speaking to Mary. It is just as real as the pro- God speaking to those prophets. Friend, when you and I read of what God has said, it is just as real, and she is praising for fulfilled promises. Well, the fulfilled promises gives us hope in the yet-to-be-fulfilled ones. Boy, as I think of this and how I try and put it in perspective, generation after generation after generation has held to these promises. I believe we live in a day that's very dark. And if we're not careful, we'll get our eyes off of the promises of God. I've tried to imagine, I don't know if you've ever done this, I've tried to imagine what it would have been like to live in that day. What is your hope? Well, God told Abraham. What is your hope? Isaiah said. Well, have you met Isaiah? No, he's been gone a while. Well, what is you're putting your hope in that? And then you put your hope in that and you look at the world around and you look at the fact that they're under Roman domination. How discouraged. They're not without hope, but they're probably many of them are pretty hopeless. I wonder if there were some in that day, and there certainly were, because they tried to get, they assumed Christ was there to set up his kingdom then. We need to 
we need to go about this in overthrow. They were hopeless. But then there was a generation. There was a time when God said, I'm sending my son. And this generation saw the fulfillment of God's promises. If you're awake, maybe you know where I'm going with this. We live in a pretty hopeless day, don't we? We live in a day of discouragement. We live in a day that seems like there's no way through. But how many generations have gone by that says, you need to watch, for God is going to send His Son. No, we hear that and we preach that and we say amen to that, but then our eyes come back down to the difficulties of this world. But friend, as sure as God's word was true, when he promised that he would send his son the first time, his word is just as true when he says he's going to send his son the second time. And I say that generations before us have passed by looking for that promise. Friend, you and I, there's going to come a time when God the Father says, it's time to bring them home. And the day is here. It can happen today. And we live in a hopeless day. We live in a, a, a day of, of turmoil and trouble. And literally, things in this world could be turned upside down overnight. That's when we're reminded to look up because your redemption draweth nigh. Friend, this morning, you must first know Christ as your Savior. Are you of low estate? I can't think of anything lower than a sinner on their way to hell. Who would... Help a sinner. Who would consider, we live in a world and often we're guilty of this passing by people. Let me tell you this morning, Christ can take you of a low estate and he can make you somebody through what he did on Calvary. Christian, this morning, are you discouraged? You need to hold to his promises. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus did come to this earth fulfilling those prophecies. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for salvation? Friend, let's be looking for our Savior to come the second time. To call us home to be with Him. Friend, Mary's song of praise, she begins verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Boy, that will be our testimony as well. She, we read in verse 55, she gives testimony to his seed forever, that God's promises are true forever. And in verse 56, and Mary abode with her about three months and then returned to her own house. But what a testimony! That Mary gave. It's obvious if you listen to Mary's own words, Mary understood her own need of a Savior. 
she understood she could not save herself. And friend, this morning, no matter who you are, there's going to come a point in time when you've got to decide, do I put my faith in Christ for salvation? I trust that you've done that. If you have not done that, I would urge you to get that settled this morning. But friend, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you know for certain that you've been saved because of your faith in Him, maybe rejoice in those fulfilled promises. May our life be a testimony of praise. I, I, I'm worried about how little Christians, it concerns me about how little Christians rejoice in their own salvation. It's almost like we're depressed because we're saved. It's like, well, you know, what's going on? Well, I'm saved. I'm just waiting on the Lord to come. Oh, we, we have victory through our salvation. We're the happiest people on this planet. ought to be God's people. The happiest people ought to be us. We all live victorious. Why? Because of what Christ did. Well, you want to make a difference in this world? Point people to the one who makes a difference. Well, we live in a world when man is so full of themselves. But there are people who are of such low estate that they wonder, does God really love me? You know what they need to be reminded of? God sent his son because he did love you. You can have salvation if you put your faith in him. Let's rejoice. Friend, don't be discouraged today. Well, you turn on the news. CNN will tell you to be discouraged. And it's all these people's fault. Say, well, thank God I don't watch CNN. I watch Fox News. Well, let me help you with that. Fox News will tell you you need to be discouraged. And it's all because of their fault. But friend, when you open this book, there's no reason to be discouraged. So no matter how bad this world gets, Christ is still on his throne. God still keeps his word. And friend, we need to be reminded it's his words we hold to. Boy, the day's coming when every, as far as eternity is concerned, Every promise of God's already been fulfilled. But the day will come when the record will show. Pastor, do you really believe that we're just going to be going about our business and then that trumpet's going to sound? And then we're just going to be gone? And everybody else is going to be left? I know. Let me make it even crazier for you. The Bible says that those who we know, who are already with the Lord, are going to appear with Him in the clouds. I'm just trying to picture in my mind how this world is going to try to explain all that. And this world will laugh and mock and say, so you poor Christians believe that the day is going to come. And by the way, just for clarification, the Bible very clearly teaches this will happen before the tribulation. That's why I'm not concerned about when the Antichrist is getting here. Because I'm just worried about when Jesus is coming back. But that trumpet is going to sound. Christ will appear in the clouds. And all those that have gone on before us, they're going to be there with him. 
you poor Christians, y'all believe some crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about another story that people scoffed at. A babe's going to be born of a virgin. That's not scientifically possible. But when the God of the universe wrote the laws of science, I remind you what Gabriel told Mary. With God, all things are possible. Friend, let's look up. He's coming back. He's coming back. If he were to come today, would you be ready? Would you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior? A Catholic church can't save you. The Baptist church can't save you. A priest can't save you. A Baptist preacher can't save you. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ in faith in Him. If you're a child of God today, are you living for Him? Are you pointing people to Him? How's your relationship? When's the last time? We ought to be convicted by this. When's the last time that we've really given praise for our own salvation? Think about what Christ did for us. Christ did for me. What Christ did for you. Let's do business with God this morning.